Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, a part of the Winged Wheel Podcast listenership is going to be happy and another very strange part is going to be disappointed because, Evan, it's just you and I this episode. The plague has taken Brad and he is uh, taking this episode off. Yep, the ones who watch or listen to the podcast in the dark are going to be very upset today. <laughs> well, I like when the news kind of unfolds as we're prepping for the show today, and Edmonton really kind of gave us a lot to work with. What a disaster over there, but fun for us to talk about. And attached to that, the Red Wings very thankfully didn't lead us into a two-episode with no games break with just one point across two games. They managed the win against Columbus, and they got the point against Montreal. So they, they helped us change the tone for this one. That would have been not great if we had to, you know, the Rhymer overtime gaffe would have been the main focus of this show. This episode would have been so cynical and would have just dissolved into madness very quickly. So thank God the Red Wings pulled one out. All right, folks. Well, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. Brad Crisco, not with us. We wish him well. Some of you might not. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be reviewing Detroit's two games uh, since we last spoke there. OT loss against Montreal, which featured <laughs> some interesting decision-making from the Red Wings, especially uh, from the crease, James Reimer, and their win against Columbus. We'll be talking about individual storylines from those games Thoughts on defense, Debrinket breaking through, Fabry coming in with two goals and lots more. Detroit in their trip to Sweden, which, I mean, they've already landed there. They're getting ready for those games. Uh, talking about what to expect for those games ahead and more on Hockey Town as they go global. And NHL news, which is going to be a big one this episode. Edmonton lost to the San Jose Sharks. Fired coach Jay Woodcroft. There's a whole kind of you know narrative going around Ken Holland now. That is an ordeal as you look at what's going to happen to Connor McDavid's team. We'll see how that one unfolds and, and lots of thoughts. This is actually an area where Red Wings fans are pretty well versed uh, with the Ken Holland managed team. So that's going to be uh, a fun conversation. And then Zadorov requesting a trade and lots more before we jump into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you almost entirely by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, as it's called, you get access to a lot of great benefits. For example, our Patreon-exclusive Discord and all of the fantastic communities within that. You also get access to our overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. Uh, as Evan will attest to, they are a lot of fun. A little unhinged, but a lot of fun. You also are automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. And the vast, vast majority of those are Patreon-exclusive. So again, patreon.com slash podcast. Evan, before we jump into it, some congratulations are in order. First of all, Red Wings beat writer for The Athletic and one of the best sports writers in the industry, good friend of the show, Max Boltman, uh, did a thing and married up this past weekend. Allison Ferrant, his now wife, they got married on Friday uh, in a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Allison is a phenomenal, phenomenal photographer, uh, now shoots for Illich Companies, so you'll see a lot of her work with the Red Wings and the Tigers. Uh, Fantastic ceremony, uh, just two amazing, incredible people, and we could not be happier for them. So uh, our congratulations to Max and Allison on getting married. Also, the Larkins, 
expecting a baby in the spring. Big news. The spring, eh? That's uh, coach won't be happy about that. That's uh, <laughs> right in the the prime of the playoff push. I don't know. That's you know what dad energy though. We've seen it time and time again. New dad goes out, scores two goals in the next game. That is true. Yeah. Hopefully, we're playing a, another playoff level team, and those points are actually worth four. Yeah. So, congratulations to the Larkins. All the best to them moving forward. Okay, let's jump into it and let's start with a little bit of an unfortunate game. And I'm laughing because the game was equal parts frustrating and then just ridiculous at the end. But Detroit started off the first of their uh, two most previous games since our last episode against the Montreal Canadiens, and it was a eventual 3-2 loss. You know, they went down to Montreal. Both teams had not scored first, and it seemed like a million years. Detroit lost that battle and continued their lack of scoring first streak as Montreal went up one nothing. Christian Fisher tied it. Uh, puck deflected off of him. There's a lengthy review, but he tied it off a Rasmussen shot in the second period. Uh, JT Comfer again tied the game for Detroit as uh, he had a really, really great shot actually uh, from the left side. And, you know, Detroit again came from behind twice, tied it. And in overtime, there was just a really stupid decision. <laughs> the decision by James Reimer. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what, James Reimer, we talked a, a few episodes ago about how his technique in net seems a little unorthodox and we said it doesn't seem that great his footwork and his lateral movement in net but he's been making the stops by the numbers and by performance he's been the better of Detroit's two goaltenders Alex Lyon obviously not factoring into the net Huso's been getting more of the time so it's going to be skewed but we were like yeah this is making us a bit nervous but again just two goals against Montreal is what it is he didn't sink the game for Detroit at that point but he made this decision in overtime to basically fall on Cole Caulfield's stick and hold it. And time froze, and the referee looked at him, and he looked at the referee, and the referee does what any pro-level hockey referee is meant to do, which is to say, hey, bud, are you going to let go of the stick? I'm going to give you a beat here. Nothing. He's like, come on. Are you going to let go of the stick? Reimer? (laughs) Frozen there. No. And the ref goes, all right, hand in the air, penalty called, four on three in overtime, and because hockey is poetic and because justice is poetic, who else but Cole Caulfield rips it past James Reimer clean (laughs) to to win the game for Montreal. I had a tough time believing that Cole Caulfield would have been able to come back and influence the two-on-one the Red Wings had going the other way. I mean, everybody saw this. I don't know how much we need to regurgitate the the thoughts on on the play obviously it was a bad decision can't maybe maybe he thought you know the refs missed a blatant throwing the stick call maybe i can get away with this one that's right so he was maybe just rolling the dice thinking that the nhl refereeing sticks to precedence at all which as everybody else knows that's not the truth yeah not a great look and Typically, when you give a team a power play in overtime, there there's a lot of room out there, and Montreal is one of the best shooters in the league in Cole Caulfield, and he made them pay pretty quickly on that. It was, you know, the Reimer decision was bad, and that was, like, obviously, from your goaltender, preventable penalty, just really stupid, and then he got beat. That That's a very easy 
it's very easy to lay blame on James Reimer. And I do you have to as a Red Wings fan. You see he made a mistake, he got beat after. Look that he has to eat that one. That is what it is. But I think there's a larger thing here to talk about, which is the Red Wings have an avoidable penalty problem. The Red Wings have a penalty box problem. By the numbers, they're not like the worst in the league. I think they hover around between five and ten in terms of, you know, penalty minutes taken or penalties taken. They're in and around that range. So they can definitely have improvement, but if you watch the game, you know, I'm pointing to the eye test here. Watch how many of those penalties are necessary or just like part of the game and how many of them are just boneheaded penalties. And we've seen it across the board. It's not just the Red Wings depth players. It's not just their best players. It's not just their goalies. We've seen it from Reimer to cost a game. We've seen it from Larkins in the box a ton. We've seen it from Rasmussen in the offensive zone. Like just a bunch of, you don't even want to call it undisciplined like it's not even that people are out there pissed off wanting to punch someone in the face a lot of the times it's just a stupid pointless decision like there's no there's no merit to it in terms of the competition and there's no merit to it in terms of a guy getting revenge against someone like brad martian they just are taking dumb penalties yeah and i remember early in the season david perron took one in the middle of the ice too it was he was pressuring someone i can't even remember the game but he did this weird 180 and he ended up tripping someone when it was just totally unnecessary and yeah the the penalties you take like the rhymer one where the penalty he's taking isn't gonna really influence the play or you know the offensive zone penalties that this team is taking where you know they're kind of away from the play or they're just like a, a bad hooking penalty like you're 200 feet from your net. You don't have to be taking those penalties. So, I mean, what does that boil down to for me? It's, it's you know, it's a really an execution thing. Players are, you know, in the wrong spot, so they're trying to play catch up to the play, and they just make a bad decision. You know, I think for me it kind of all boils back down to the, the team is not up. Before last game against Columbus, <laughs> the team was not up to play at the start of games. And when you're always playing catch up, you know, you can't always get in a nice groove and execute fluidly. So I don't know. It's got to stop. And I'm sure the coaching staff is, it makes their skin crawl every time they take one of these boneheaded penalties that are not near the play or 200 feet from the net. It drives fans crazy too. It's just so unnecessary, especially a team that has, that focuses on team defense. You're not out on an island by yourself. You don't have to be taking penalties like this and after the montreal game another thing that i said and i think i tweeted this out too is yeah detroit got to 2-2 like they got the the fisher you know deflection they got the comfort goal to tie it and who knows maybe one rhymer take a breath don't make a dumb decision away and they got a good bounce and they win in overtime we know how three on three overtime is but overall detroit didn't look good that game i think two the, the drop has been too precipitous between their overperforming six-game win stretch or whatever it was. And we said that that's not sustainable over the course of the season. They're not going to score five goals a game all year. But you know they can be really good to how they've been playing recently. And, and I'm talking after the Montreal game. Like, they just looked uninspired. I, I think this is a team that's gotten a little bit stale. Uh, we talked about the preventable mistakes. We talked about the inconsistent play the uninspired offense they just look stagnant they look a a beat behind and it just seems like when you know they have the personnel to do it it, they just need a shakeup. and maybe this sweden trip is going to be it i know they scored more in the columbus game we'll talk about that in a second but 
a lot of their best players even. Like, DeBrinket scored in the Columbus game, but he was slumping. We talked about that last episode. Larkin's very obviously not playing 100%. Cider, we were talking before the episode, Evan. Like, he just, yeah, he's putting up the points. But anyone who's watching Red Wings hockey right now knows how much better Mo Cider can be. Him and Wallman, when they perform well, are at, like, the top level of pairings in the NHL. And especially for the last little while, it's been like a comedy of errors. Someone loses their footing and lets a puck skip over their blade and then, you know, falls going backwards or misses an assignment and just looks lost. Too much of that lately, and the whole team kind of looks discombobulated. Anyhow, that was after the Montreal game. It wasn't feeling good, but you're you're looking at this team and saying, yeah, they, they have what they need to win. They just need to to focus on the execution. And it goes back to what I've said probably enough times to make the listeners ears bleed, which is it's really hard to be a good team. Like you can have the personnel and you can do good things, but to do it consistently, it's not dissimilar to golf actually. Like you can hit really good golf shots. I'm speaking your language here, Evan. Oh, okay. But doing it over, you know, four days in a tournament or, or, or even over 18 holes, it's exceptionally hard to do. And that's what sets out the great from the good. And in the NHL, you can have really good players but to do this over an 82-game season on average most nights, it's tough. Like Edmonton. Like Edmonton, a little bit of a preview for later. Yeah, it's it's really tough, especially, you know, I think maybe the start of the season for the Red Wings, at least from a fan perspective, maybe it gave people false aspirations to maybe what this team is. Obviously, I'm not going to be upset about uh, such a strong start. That was probably the most fun Red Wings hockey we've had Maybe since we started the podcast, I don't know. It's I can't remember a few weeks ago, so seven years ago. Good luck. What did you have for breakfast? Nothing. Coffee. Oh, nice. You're very European of you. Yeah, yeah, I'm a blue collar guy. You know, looking at car batteries these days. That's Uh, right. Yeah, tough morning for the guy. Yeah, I had finally had some dirt on my hands. (laughs) I don't know if the start of the season really gave people false expectations, or you know, you know, it's I'm never going to fault someone for being excited and like being happy that a team is doing well, but, you know, has this t- team maybe regressed back to p- where people think they should belong? I would say yes. But it still doesn't answer the incomplete play, the very inconsistent play. Yeah, I still struggle to figure out what what this team is, but there's some very glaring things right now with this team. The top line being very cold. I mean, last game against Columbus, which we'll talk about, you saw signs of life. Yeah, maybe the maybe it was the start of the season just really, you know, gave people the wrong idea of how the season was going to go. I don't know. Well, like you mentioned, the start of the Columbus game was much better. Detroit finally started on time, and they started first, which was unique. Lucas Raymond with a really, really clever goal, uh, skilled goal, recognized the kind of space that the defense and the goalie was giving him. It was going behind the net from the left side. If you're, you know, watching on, uh, you're facing the net from the blue line, going in from the left side, recognize that the goalie was cheating to the other side of the net early, and the defenseman wasn't really covering the inside post, and Raymond stopped, came back, tucked it right back in. It was a really kind of magician-like play. You almost want to say the kind of thing that you'd see Pavel Datsuk do routinely, and Lucas Raymond made that look easy. It was a very, very cool goal. And a credit to Lucas Raymond. You know, we talk about Detroit's best players slumping and Debrinket and Larkin going a little bit between points and, and performances. Raymond, I think, has been the most consistently good top Red Wings player in that stretch. So good for him to open scoring like that. And that was a much needed boost for Detroit. 
Robbie Fabry got on the board right after, which again, he came back after missing everything but the first game. And that was, you know, tough. His first game back wasn't the best. Uh, he was in the slot. Fisher found him right in the, the right spot. Fabry, when he's healthy, does put himself in the right spot a lot and scored that goal, which was uh, Detroit, the 2 nothing lead for Detroit that early on was good. Did go away by the end of the first period. Uh, Texier scored, and then Fantilli in there was a one of those comedy of errors I talked about from Sider and Woman. You know, someone blows a tire and the break going the other way against Detroit's best pair and they just make him look like Detroit's third pair. And then another goal where Jeff Petrie gets beat in such a way where you're like, he's just not doing it for Detroit and for the amount of minutes he's getting because Detroit's best players aren't performing. That's when I, I put out there, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. It's not like Detroit is icing six or seven defensemen who are all doing really great and just holding down the fort and at least putting out league average defense. Even Detroit's best defensemen right now, Insider and Wallman, oftentimes are looking like Swiss cheese. Plain and simple. They're just getting beat too easily. So in my mind, even if he's not perfect, even if he's still turnover prone or will make defensive mistakes or whatever it might be, get Simon Edvinson up here. Because I would rather watch Simon Edvinson make the same mistake as Jeff Petrie or anyone else because ostensibly he can learn from that and develop. Is the NHL a development league? No. But we've seen the position of defense benefit from NHL reps and experience time after time after time. So if this is what you're getting from the guys who are supposed to be experienced and holding down the fort until Edvinson's ready and, and they're not doing any better, get Edvinson up here. Run 11 and 7. Don't sit anyone out if you don't want to. Like Just make the cycling in just one guy in the press box. I don't care. But... This defense doesn't look good, and the goaltending isn't bailing them out. We always said, "Oh, they'll oh, they'll be an injury. Like it's just a matter of time." And somehow the Red Wings' defensive core has remained intact so far this entire season. The only thing they haven't done is get hurt. I know, in it's, such a way where they have to call up Edmondson, and that's not a bad thing. We're not wishing for any injury, but it's like no. it's funny how that all kind of comes together, and that's the one thing that doesn't, you know, check the box. I think that was yeah. I think that was like our main sort of uh, solace in the fact that. Edvinson didn't make the team was, you know, injuries happen. He'll be the first guy to come up. It will be a matter of time. It's a matter of when, not if. But <laughs> somehow this defensive core has stayed healthy. But to take one of Brad's lines, I'd rather watch a guy we know might be bad versus a guy who is bad. Listen, Jeff Petrie's a great guy. Obviously, his family means a lot to Detroit in the state of Michigan. It's It's not a personal thing at all. You know, it could be anybody. I, you know what? I don't care if it's Jeff Petrie. It, it, it could be anybody. I think Simon Evanson deserves to be in this lineup. You know, maybe at the start of the season during training camp where we said, oh, they're all established NHL defensemen. It's going to be very hard for him to break that. I, for me at this point, it doesn't matter. Uh, you you got to start getting some developmental reps at the NHL level. And we've seen the NHL get younger and younger and younger. You have to just let those guys try and break through on their own. Speaking of breaking through, and speaking of Jeff Petrie, actually, this is a part of his game where I do give him credit because it does, with the right opportunity, come through from time to time. He recognized a puck in the corner where he could activate into the play, came down to the right wall and found Alex Dabrinkit in the slot who fired it home and broke his little cold streak there. And that was an important goal for, for Dabrinkit to score. And a game where Detroit needed to score five because Huso wasn't good and the defense wasn't good, I think yeah. Detroit needed to outscore them. So Petrie found Dabrinka, who scored his 10th of the season in the slot. 
And then a turnover turned into cost and finding Daniel Sprung, who made no mistake beating the goalie on the right side. And Detroit, again, had a two-goal lead. Jake Wallman made that uh, 5-3 game as a Wallman shot found its way through, uh, ricocheted, and all of a sudden, the and I think that was initially credited to uh, Robbie Fabry, but uh, Jake Wallman ended up with the actual goal there. And then it was a 5-4 game at the end with Patrick Laine showing off his Patrick Laine shot, but Detroit did end up hanging on 5-4. So was it a pretty game? No, I, I don't think it was a pretty win, but it was an important win because Detroit went from potentially getting one of four points to three or four points heading into a break before the Sweden trip. You know, they outscored their problems, which again, there's a bigger thing to talk about here. Goaltending has been meh at best and defense has been meh at best. But that's, you talked about Evan, is this just where the team is at? And is this about their level? I think the three or four points against the Montreal and Columbus level teams is about where Detroit's playing right now. Honestly, other than it being Montreal and being a division, another team in the division and those points being worth more, you know, I'm not, you're not upset about that. Like recent uh, versions of the Red Wings, three or four points, very, very good. It's, you know, a win's a win in the NHL and uh, two points is two points, but I'm sure the coaching staff would like to clean that up quite a bit, uh, limit those defensive mistakes. But hey, you know, the team finally started on time and had two goals basically in the first six minutes. You know, it's great to see that sort of change in the team sort of mojo coming out of the coming out of uh, warmups. The only real saving grace for Detroit through all of this, and it's a double-edged sword, is the rest of the Atlantic is just kind of... They're eating glue. Yeah, Ottawa's doing something, but Ottawa's not like league worse. They don't have five points like the Sharks. They still have 12 points, and they're eighth in the division. Buffalo is 15 points, Tampa's 16, Montreal's 16, Toronto's 18, Detroit's 18. So you're three points from second last in the division at this point. It's the middle is tight. Yes. The middle is essentially the whole division. It's really just Boston with five points of separation over Florida with 19 and second. And outside of that, it's in in a week and a half, Ottawa could be in a divisional seat and Detroit could be back at the bottom. Montreal could fall to where we think they're going to fall or they could be second in the division. The Sweden game is going to be huge. It's going to be massive. I'm happy for the Swedish crowd, actually. That's going to be awesome for them to see consequential Atlantic Division games. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the position Detroit has left them in. So, yeah, the the win streak early on, you bank some points while other teams are still figuring it out. And, you know, three or four when you're playing poorly is is good. You're still playing eh, hockey, but you'll take three or four. Like you said, a win's a win. But this isn't going to last forever, and it's too tight to keep. Eh, hockey... Last year or two, three years ago, this team would be absolutely half the points of what they have now. Yeah, we'll take meh hockey, but we also, someone asked me, they're like, you know, do you just have to be happy with this because it's a little bit better at least even when it's bad? And I'll say, I think you should be satisfied that they're at least a little bit better, but never will I tell a Red Wings fan, hey, lower your expectations and don't expect more from this team because, you know, how many teams are satisfied with the performance of their team in the NHL? Boston, Rangers, Vegas. Vegas that's three. So 29 other teams Vancouver's are still trying. but yeah. Vancouver. So other team, t- almost every other team in the league is likely unsatisfied of where they are. In one uh, way or another. In one way or another, where it be their total ass, 
aspect or just facets of the game. It's it's a process, and <laughs> it's the most hockey sportsman statement of all time. But if you're not one of the true elite, like top three, four teams in the league, you're always trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Those the the top teams are just trying to stay tuned up and get themselves ready for the playoffs. Everybody else is trying to figure out and establish themselves and what kind of team they are. And that's okay that Detroit's, you know, doing this because it's going to happen no matter what. When you have as much personnel turnover as they have, you have as much honestly holes in the lineup as they still have. It's cool when you can score 5 goals a game for a stretch, but you have to expect the inverse. Yeah. And goalies are voodoo. They always will be and until Detroit has a bonafide perennial number one goalie that comes through they're gonna have to figure it out and frankly they have three goaltenders capable of winning hockey games right now Uh, we've said it before but it seems like they they have to bring three goalies on the Sweden trip so Lyon isn't gonna do a potential conditioning stint until after that if that's the route they still want to go every indication seems that that's likely but that could change in a dime anything could happen an injury could happen and he could have to come in but if they send Lyon down for a conditioning stint, that only buys them so much time. They're eventually going to have to get Lyon in. And based on, you know, the Reimer overtime mess up and Huso looking pretty below average this season, I would like to see Lyon get in. It might actually spark the other two guys to pick their game up because they know another guy's now right. getting some minutes and he's taking minutes directly from them because of their play. And they know he can do it because he's the one who got Florida to the playoffs last year. He could very well get a couple starts and he becomes the starter of this team if he if he plays exceptionally well. You know, it's going to be extremely unlikely and stre- extremely difficult for Alex Line to do that because he hasn't played in well the whole season since Nam pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So is that a likely scenario? No, but I think the Red Wings would be mistaken if they didn't at least try that experiment. And in terms of the sh- the lineup shakeup that I was talking about, you know, we talked about Edvinson and getting him those pro reps, and that's really important. I think for his game and for the defense overall, I would love to see that. I, I really want to emphasize that. He could come up and be bad. He can come up and be Detroit's sixth best defenseman, and Petrie could outplay him most nights. I think there's a, a pretty good probability of that. But like we've said before, and we'll repeat right now, I think you just have to see what you have in him as of now, and work on the development as you go because he has offensive ability. He's working on getting things to NHL speed. If it's so atrocious, just send him back down. That's fine. But in my mind, you're not getting what you need from the defense and things look off. The the What really signals me is when your best players are playing poorly most nights, things are looking off. Mm-hmm. If Mo Sider in a contract year looks like he's overthinking things and just a little bit too in his own head and playing way worse defensively with decision-making than we've seen him play. And in terms of his chemistry with Jake Wallman, than we've seen him play together. That shows you that the execution, like you said, Evan, is off and just something's not there, but they can be a lot better. And some it's such a mental sport on an individual player-by-player basis and on a team basis. You just need to shake up. Bring up Berggren. Is he absolutely tearing up the AHL? No, but he's he's being Yonted Berggren, and we know what he can do. Bring him up. He might inject something into the lineup, and if he doesn't, great. Goes back down, whatever. But it, it, there's, you know, eligibility rules in there and what have you. But still, I just, we'll see how the Sweden trip goes, but in my mind, this team could use a, an injection of uh, something different. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, people will say, oh, well, where is Edvinson going to be put in the lineup? It's like, I don't care. 
wherever. You got a, you got a top pairing def- uh, defensive unit, and then you got everybody else. You know, if you want to put him with Mata to just stabilize the back end a little bit, that's fine. I don't care. You want to put him with Justin Hall, who I've actually thought has been decent this year. He's been a lot better than advertised. Put him with him. I don't care. Simon Evanson will find his way because he's got the the tool set and I totally believe he's got the confidence to to figure it out at the NHL level. A few more points on defense. First of all, Goss Bear was benched initially. He didn't have a good performance in the game against New York and so was benched against Montreal and uh, Lalone said he's been good overall this season but just wasn't sharp. I personally saw that and went, ugh. <laughs> what about everybody else? Yeah, the best I can come up with was we know your older brother gets away with this shit all the time, but we expect better from you. And it's just yeah. one of and, and that honestly is fair because you do expect better from Gosses Bear. There is advantage to watching the game from above. Not the decision I would have made, but when I, I talk about getting a shakeup into the team, benching an important player is actually one way to do it. It sounds counterintuitive, but it's think back to when Philip Peronic, before his kind of breakout year, which he was promptly traded uh, in, he had a couple benchings where he would just look terrible. And it did wake him up to a degree. I, I didn't disagree with that decision from Blaschel at the time at all. Ben Chirot has been way better than last season. And relative to his peers, absolutely not the problem at all. May I say Ben Chirot might be the most steady defenseman <laughs> for the Detroit Red Wings? <laughs> it's like for all the 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 railing against Ben Chirot that's happened in the past, we'd be remiss in not saying. like It, it does sound crazy when you have... Mo Sider and Jake Wallman playing to the level that you knew they could play closer to the start of the season. And yeah, Ben Sherrod is absolutely Detroit's most steady defenseman right now. Or at least he's out there and you're not so concerned like you are with Petrie or, you know, whatever other defensive gaffe is going to happen. Credit to him. He deserves it. Yeah, there's still, you know, moments where I'm like, how is that person behind the net, Ben Sherrod, in the offensive zone? But hey, you know what? <laughs> I like defense who activate and kind of play as a rover. You see some of the best goal scorers, a la Quinn Hughes. Yeah. They love to play that little rover where they activate and really throw off the defensive systems and the who guys are covering. I like that a lot. So, you know, we were exceptionally hard on Ben Sherratt last year. I think everybody was. But I think this year, you know, what we're looking from Ben Sherratt, I think he's he's played to that level. He's been what we want him to be. Yeah, exactly. Two guys who are doing really well in depth roles, Clem Costin and Christian Fisher, really yeah. like their game right now. Yeah, I've Clem has been excellent in the lineup. Uh he brings, you know, a slightly different look than basically what any other line does. He's not afraid to get in people's face. He's got actually half decent hands. He's got he can, silky hands, man. He can toe drag and he's got a little bit of finish, so you know, that is a, exactly the type of guy you want in the bottom half of your lineup. And Fisher's a bit of a, a water bug out there. Like, he is a real prick to play against. So, you know, you need guys like that. And, you know, are you going to get goals from them regularly? Absolutely not. But you need lines in the NHL where nothing happens. Yeah, 100%. And Fisher, like, he doesn't do it the same way as Clem, really. Clem, he can do it the talent way. He can do it the grind way. Christian Fisher is basically just like you asked a coach to create a fourth line player. In hit like within reason in his image and just grinds, gets to the right areas, works hard on the puck and does the right things. It sounds like meaningless platitudes, but look at the Robbie Fabry goal, for example. Yeah. You can understand why Arizona was upset to lose Fisher, and you can understand why Edmonton was upset to lose Clean Costin. Yeah, I th- I think they've actually been, you know, quite helpful. You know, 
bottom of the lineup guys are not ultra impactful and they don't totally push the needle to you being a contender, but you do need guys like that in the lineup to give you a different look because not every single line can be, you know, 20 goal scorers, you know, uh, guys playing on the power play. You need the meat and potatoes guys. Yeah. I've now cursed them. Yes. Yep. Well, Detroit is going to be playing those two games in Sweden, but they don't happen until Thursday and Friday, November 16th and 17th, both at 2 p.m. Eastern for reference. So we're going to actually have... My God, I'll be awake for those. (laughs) That's right, yeah. (laughs) That's going to be great. You're not going to have to watch games on replay like the uh, West Coast games. Yeah, I'll just be tucking myself into bed right by the time that game ends at uh, 5.30 or so. Yeah, you are... You, of me and Brad, you are the crustiest old man, for sure. Oh, yeah. Although your commitment... As soon as I started paying uh, income ta- uh, property tax, that's that's when uh, I became just the biggest old man of all time. <laughs> so we'll have one more episode before those games, but we'll have uh, something interesting to bring you, hopefully to fill the air. Stay tuned on that. Okay, that's a lot of Red Wings talk. Let's get into the rest of the NHL here. And by that, I mean the Edmonton Oilers. What a team this is. You know, We're a team. They could hardly say that prior. They are, as we record right now, 3-9-1 for seven points. They had the win against Seattle last night, which was a an important win or so they thought, but in the end it didn't matter because they actually lost to the San Jose Sharks. We talked last episode about how San Jose beat Philly and then set up a, a showdown with Edmonton where they could both be level on points if San Jose won, and that's what happened. The last minute of that game... In San Jose, sounded like a series clinching playoff game. That might be the most watched San Jose Sharks game this season. Oh, hundred percent. And it very much was like people tuning in to watch a car crash. Like they knew it was going to happen, and they wanted to see the carnage. Yeah, I don't think the NHL fan base has been so galvanized quite like that game on and, Thursday night. And it's not like people hate Connor McDavid or they hate the Edmonton Oilers. Like people hate Toronto or. Boston or anything. It's just, it is kind of this remarkable thing in a horrific way that a team with the most talented player to ever play the sport of hockey and Leon Dreisaitl, who right now is among one of the best players on the planet, is at the bottom of the NHL, like literally playing league worst hockey. A lot of that's dictated by the fact that they couldn't get a save from Jack Campbell, who's now been waived and sent down to the AHL, or Stuart Skinner. They have to make a move in net, but yeah, they that car crash has been happening all season, and that loss ultimately is what led to the firing of Jay Woodcroft. Even though they won against Seattle, they just it wasn't enough, and they made the move to fire head coach Jay Woodcroft. And it was, I don't know, I, I'll talk a little bit. We'll talk a little bit in a second about why we understand the decision. But to me, I feel for Woodcroft here because this seems you get some average goaltending, and he has his job right now. Yeah, what's the saying? I'll. If you show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good coach. Yeah, and then the inverse is also very true. Like, it's tough because it's so much of it was out of his control. There was a lot in there about, you know, a defensive system that he was trying to implement that just wasn't taking with the Oilers, and he's not blameless on that front. I think at the end of the day, you can't put your team in a position at the start of the season where they have to win at, like, a 105-point pace to even sniff the playoffs when you're meant to be a cup contender. So I understand Jay Woodcroft being fired. 
What's tough here is the Ken Holland situation. And you don't have to look far for Edmonton fans to be screaming about that. You know, Jeff Jackson is coming in and, and running that team and hockey ops from above, but Ken Holland is still the general manager. It's an open secret. It's talked about everywhere. We actually reported it on this show. Funny enough, our, our Ken Holland sources didn't go away. He just left the Red Wings. And so it wasn't as advantageous for us to yeah. have Ken Holland sources. But we said last year, we believe that this season is Ken Holland's last season as general manager. And lots of folks have said the same thing. And he has a reputation, right? Like he is, like it or not, among the living legends of hockey management right now. He'll go into the hall pretty quick after he retires. He's well regarded around the league. And really, if Edmonton wanted to fire Ken Holland, it wouldn't accomplish anything different than just having Jeff Jackson run the day-to-day or making the big decisions regardless. I'm not saying that's necessarily the situation right now, but I'd, I'd probably bet that they're moving in that direction if not having already done that. So it's kind of crummy for Jay Woodcroft, but it's almost like Edmonton was locked into this. Yeah, it's, you know, when a team's underperforming, uh, typically the order is uh, the coach goes first and then the GM has nowhere to hide after that if the team doesn't turn it around. But if they feel that Ken Holland isn't the one really making the decisions anymore and he's more so a figurehead than anything, then you keep him. I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough to... You can give people advice or, you know, say what you would do, but you're, we're so far removed from being involved in those situations. It's, it's entirely difficult to, you know, have any sort of sense on what's going on in there. But for Ken Holland, the guy who was the most patient person of all time and let Mike Babcock run amok forever in Detroit. Yeah. He's had what, four, three coaches in the four years he's been GM there? Yeah. Since May of 2019, he's hired three coaches. Yeah. <laughs> When he went, when he became the general manager of Edmonton, they needed a number one D and they needed a number one goalie. Four years later, they need a number one D and a number one goalie. So, you know, patience is a virtue and Ken Holland has that in spades, but clearly he's grasping at straws trying to figure out what the hell to do with this Edmonton Oilers team. This is Jackson's team now. Like Ken Holland's on the way out. I'm sure he would have loved for things to have gone differently, but... There was rumors of Edmonton making a big move, maybe with Montreal. We saw Primo in against Detroit. You know, are they going to try to make a trade there? Nothing materialized or nothing materialized yet. We talked last episode is one of Detroit's three NHL-level goaltenders part of the solution there. I don't know. Edmonton's got to shed caps. Like, they, it's got to be a dollars-in, dollars-out trade, and nobody's really interested in picking up one of their goalies or picking up one of their rostered players they want their picks, but you got to move a player off the off the roster. So it's Edmonton's in a brutal spot to try and make a move. They have hired a new coach who will be familiar with Connor McDavid because he was his coach uh, with the Erie Otters in the OHL where Connor McDavid played. So did Alex DeBrinket, other notable players as well. Chris uh, Noblock, who which I'm ho- I hope I'm saying that correctly, and that's not going to be a problem for me to look up because I'm sure we're going to be hearing his name plenty in the coming weeks. And Paul Coffey, who was previously a special advisor to owner Daryl Cates, uh, steps in as assistant coach as well. So Woodcroft and the assistant with him, Dave Manson, are out. And Noblock and Coffey are in. Noblock came in from Hartford in the AHL. Had a lot of success in the O. The A is a little bit of a different beast, but really well-regarded coach. Rangers fans are a little bit annoyed that he's gone from their system. I think 
what Edmonton chooses to do, Evan, like you're talking about where they have to pretty much give up assets to make a move here. And is that worth it? It's going to be dictated by how Edmonton plays with this new coach. We've seen a new coach really inspire teams to to do well right away. It's uh, almost like clockwork. But Connor McDavid is also very obviously playing hurt right now. He is not playing 150-point hockey right now. And that's really the the crux of it all, right? Like, how do you get McDavid to not play and actually rest up and heal? Where where you also need Connor McDavid in the lineup yeah. to right the ship and get this thing back on track. Like... <laughs> It's a, it's, it's brutal, brutal. Out there. and it's, you know what? Winter's coming too, so it's going to be cold soon. They don't have really any. They need everyone else to right the ship, and they can't rely so heavily on their top two players, which is how their team is constructed. How their team's constructed. So, if you're the GM right now, do you give up the assets and the picks necessary to offload the kind of cat? Let's say you're moving Campbell out, or the equivalent contract. You're gonna have to give up a. F- mountain yes. to get rid of Jack Campbell. First plus. Oh, absolutely. You know... It's a big you, plus, too. Just to move him, not even talking about who you're getting in return, is going to be a monumental lift. Teams are going to be asking for the kinds of things that's going to make, you know, Jeff Jackson and Ken Holland hang up the phone. Like, that's how much they're going to be asking Oh, for. yeah. And nobody's crying for, for the Edmonton Oilers to make the playoffs. No. Especially teams who might have been on the bubble in the Pacific. They're, they're laughing. This is great. I don't think you're moving Jack Campbell. The The cost is too high. you got to look at moving Skinner, for example. Maybe he's the move. I don't know what you do. You, you Trying to fix goaltending in Edmonton is almost a fool's opportunity because it's impossible. It's a hard task to do, period. How long have we been watching Detroit try to do it? The best goaltending that Detroit has had over the stretch of an entire season isn't Vili Huso last year. It's Jonathan Bernier when he was playing, you know, with Jimmy Howard or whoever else. Yeah. And he got injured because they overworked him and then that kind of faded away and he obviously left. They didn't bring him back because they didn't want to spend as much, whatever. But Jonathan Bernier was Detroit's best solution in net since Jimmy Howard was in his prime. It is exceptionally difficult to find NHL-level goaltending, which is why when you go out and spend on guys who don't have the kind of pedigree and longevity for five-year terms, like Ken Holland did with Jack Campbell, that's tough. I have no problem paying goalies a a decent chunk of change short-term. But unless you're signing like Connor Hellebuck or, you know, Vasilevsky or Sorokin or Shesterkin, some of that caliber, to commit that much term to goalies is... That is one hell of a, you know, big cojones swing because your coaching staff is hung by that anchor if it sinks. And eventually you as the GM are hung by that anchor if it sinks. And that's what we're watching right now in Edmonton. Yeah, name me. Yeah, this is a classic Ken Holland bad contract in the salary cap era. Darnell Nurse was a bad one as well. Like these are the contracts you got to avoid if you're going to be a contender and you know, teams have shown, like, the Vegas Golden Knights, they ran through, like, what, six, seven goalies last year, and they were still able to to win. I don't know. Edmonton's in a, in a disaster, and, you know, you can talk about moving guys in and out. and it. But for me, it's, you know, do you make these moves to try and salvage the season, or do you make, make no moves and just say, oh, we'll start again next year, or do you make the moves just to keep Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl as part of your organization. I think the last one is the answer, Evan. 
To me, it is. Who who cares about this season? Who cares about who you got to trade? Because at the end of the day, if they lose one or both of those guys, Edmonton is going to burn. They there have been a lot of memes going around about you know Connor LeBron James McDavid because LeBron has dictated the coaching and management everywhere he's been. Sidney Crosby demanded Chris Kunitz to be on the the Canadian Olympic team. You got to do those things. At, no, like you can have uh, a decision on like a 59-41 decision in terms of what's favorable, what's not. Like you mentioned your first two options, Evan, like do you punt to next season or do you try to make this one work? I don't even think you think about, but now at, that I'm thinking about it, you don't even think about results base. It's keeping those guys here. Exactly. That is so, it, it is 100% these generational talents that I have on my team. How do I guarantee that they're here in one year, two year, three year, five years? And they'll say when. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. But it, you and there's more of an involved process now in the modern NHL. Like their agents are involved. Oh like yeah, it is. It is way more integrated. Like the tentacles run deeper. And I'm not saying Connor McDavid's pulling the strings and he's like, you know, uh, walking in and pushing Jeff Jackson and Ken Holland around. No, but there's a very real aspect to keeping this player satisfied. They get paid. You know, Connor McDavid's next contract is going to be such a gross amount of money relative to what we've seen in hockey. It'll be as much as like a bench player in the NBA, but I digress. It's a different, that's a whole different argument. But he's going to make such an insane amount of money. But at the end of the day, he wants to win. This guy is as good as he is because he is sick in the head about winning. He came back way too early to his own detriment because he cannot bear not being on the ice to help his team win, especially when they were losing. You have to, unfortunate though it is at some points, because you it's like two steps backwards to go one and a half step forwards, you have to keep him satisfied in that regard. I 100% agree. I think, you know, part of being a general manager or a president of hockey ops is being a, peop- a great people manager. And mm-hmm. those are the two guys you got to keep in that in that organization above all else, because with them there, you every single year you have a chance of winning. It's going to be tough to see i don't know what they can do and it'll be interesting to see how the the season plays out for them (laughs) i could do a whole this whole thing is just another and there's examples from the red wings too so i'm not just trying to dunk on other teams but i'm going to do a whole episode one day on the importance of pro scouting we focus so much on amateur scouting because that's the topic du jour while you're rebuilding team but for pro scouting how many times has pro scouting sunk teams like contracts that should never been handed out because pro scouting, it's not an afterthought, but it's just too many bad decisions go for too long. And these pro scouting groups stay as they are for too long. Like Ken Holland notoriously is a great negotiator with restricted free agents while he has team control and with UFAs just overspends going back more than a decade. How many red Abdulkader, Erickson, Helm, the kind of contracts where it's like death by a thousand cuts, and some of them are also massive gashes too. Yeah. And then does the same thing in Edmonton multiple times. Like pro scouting teams need to have more, pre- I'm sorry, more pressure on them. Like they need th- that part of the league. Like if you have a good pro scouting team, you have such a massive leg up. It feels like it doesn't get enough focus. And they need to, I honestly think, need to have more control over some general managers who have terrible habits like Ken Holland. There's very few guys that they have injected into that lineup via trades that have made, have been effective as members of that team. Zach Hyman might be, Zach the, Hyman, yeah. might be the only one I can really think of off the top of my head. Ekholm was 
a flash in a pan last season. He looked like he'd really kind of solidified the back end, but that's clearly come apart. Yeah, every guy they thought they were getting, they didn't. I don't know, man. That team has got... You just hate as a hockey fan to watch the best player on the planet wallow at the bottom of the league. So they oh, got I don't care. I hate it. I can't stand it. I does doesn't bother I don't cry for any team. I'm not saying I love seeing that, but you know what? You make they made their own bed, they got to lay in it. Anyhow, we'll see what happens there. Uh, elsewhere in Alberta, Nikita Zadorov wants a trade. He wants out of Calgary. And for a big defenseman who logs minutes and hits like he does, he is going to get interest. Whether or not he is actually as good as he's going to get the return for is one thing. I personally love the way he plays. I know he's not like on paper the best defenseman, but you just love watching those hits. It's electric. Yeah, he speaking of meat and potato, lunch pail kind of guy, he's that guy. And I I thought for sure Edmonton would we switched teams. Calgary would try and lock him down as in being part of the future, whether that's continuing to do whatever they're doing or in a rebuild. Because he says all the right things in interviews. He's not afraid to speak his mind in a in a way to try and charge up the team. I I was kind of surprised that they wouldn't just kind of pay him what he wants to keep him there. There's going to be teams who are tripping and falling over this guy, and whether that ends up being the right or wrong decision, that comes back to the pro scouting conversation we were just having. Yeah, because you know, do I like? Nikita Zadorov as a player, yeah, he does, you know, he plays those hard minutes in a hard style of game. Do you need a Nikita Zadorov to win hockey games? I'm not totally convinced of that. Brad Tree Living probably is. It, you've seen the, the links between Toronto and Zadorov, and Brad Tree Living obviously knows him from his time in Calgary, and that's been talked about even before the season started. Toronto has, Toronto's one of those teams doing God knows what in the Atlantic right now. Like, they are just not playing good hockey night to night, they essentially have to rely on, you know, a couple key guys to outscore their issues. So that sounds familiar. Craig Conroy has a big task ahead of him. He could really do well here. It's tough to, if you're looking at Calgary saying, oh yeah, reset when you're in the first year of a 1 billion year contract with Jonathan Uberdo and a bunch of other guys. But And you got a new arena coming. Yeah, it's that's a different story, but they could do some damage in terms of the return for Zadorov. This is probably the peak of his value and Toronto, where their toughness in the Ryan Reeves experiment has been... An absolute failure. Like, one of the worst players I think Toronto has had in their modern era on the ice is Ryan Reeves. By the eye test, by the numbers, just absolutely useless in terms of what they brought him in for on a three-year contract. So, terrible. But Yeah, that, that, one, is, that one makes you scratch your head. Anyhow, we'll see if the Toronto link is there. This year's... This year's storylines have been everyone has lost their damn minds and is acting so weird. On There's just a the few ice. teams are vibing. Yeah. Just maybe six teams are just vibing right now. Colorado is about to get bag skated until they die. So I'm not even <laughs> sure I believe that they're vibing. Vancouver, um, man. Vancouver's vibing. I, maybe I'm a hater, but I'm convinced that's coming down. It's. You know, it's like fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, won't get fooled again. <laughs> I you have to believe. You have to believe Vancouver is gonna come back to regress to the mean, but they, all all their players are having great seasons. It's hard to to knock them. 
Okay. We are going to actually move this conversation into overtime, which is, again, brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. The bonus episodes, the Discord, the tickets to the Red Wings games, and lots more are some of your benefits. You allow us to grow the show, uh, grow the content into other shows like Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. You allow us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA and lots more. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Let's take some questions from our patrons. Joseph Barry says, if you were Detroit and you saw some young potential players struggling in their current systems like Holtz and Kent Johnson, do you consider trying to acquire one of them? I, it's not going to be surprising, but my answer for this is almost always yes. Not universally. Some players you watch and you're like, "Mm, that's, that's a busted player. Like we held out hope for Zadina for a long time, but if an outside team was watching him in the last like year or so, they'd be like, no. I'm not giving up. Everyone did their homework for once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are their coveted drafted players. The teams don't really usually want, unless you're at Vegas, you don't usually give up on your first round picks too soon. I mean, you do your due diligence and you, you make some phone calls, but it's probably would be expensive to acquire those guys because I don't think those teams are going to give up on them quite that soon. If they are, like if a team wants to be stupid, I would love to take advantage of a a Kent Johnson acquisition. Or let's say the start of the season went different. I would love to have gotten Alexi Lafreniere on the cheap. Is it going to work out guaranteed? No. No, it's it would be a massive shock if they then turned into like a first overall pick level player in Alexi Lafreniere. But you can see talent in players and sometimes you see, all right, the system and the opportunity that they had wasn't for them. And you do have to demonstrate a little bit of a bend, not break in terms of what you allow and the leeway you offer because, you know, you expect better from your guys. But if you're pulling a guy who needs just a little bit of breathing space to see what you have in him, that's the kind of thing you have to be willing to do as an organization. I will say that doesn't scream Detroit to me. No, me neither. So I wouldn't bank on it. Norris Sider says, I didn't really watch the Columbus game, but I'd heard that Mo had been downgraded to power play two with Petrie slotting up. How, With that said, how are we feeling about Lalone in this point in his tenure? Cheers, boys. So the question about Lalone in my mind is a lot about you know what we talked about earlier in this episode, Evan, which is execution. We have seen this team in lower, lower, lower lows than this. Way worse lows than this. Oh, yeah. God-awful hockey. And after that, they played the kind of hockey that almost got them into the playoffs last year. And that's something that I really liked about Derek Lalone. We actually talked about that a lot with him off air after our interview with him, which was, you know, the process of getting the team back to that level, et cetera. But I'm not, it's it's going to feel weird considering like you harp on the execution so much, but I'm not concerned because we've seen not only the team do it, but Newsy get the team out of this funk. And so that's what I'm looking for to happen next. And that's, that's not a short-term thing. That's kind of a medium-term thing over the course of a season. Yeah, and the the power play has been goalless in the last two games, so it's just a different look. Like maybe Sider's gonna gel better with the with the guys on the second unit. Maybe there's a look that they're trying to find and establish with that. And maybe you know moving Petrie onto that power play. Maybe they find something there. It's all about you know providing different looks because the teams are playing. I've all watched tape on the Red Wings power play. You got to continue to improvise and and make adjustments. So, I you know one game sample size. I'm not I'm not too worried about it at all. I actually would prefer that they make changes if the the power play has been as anemic as it's been. Jonathan Melwish says after some concerning mistakes against the Blue Jackets, is it time for just a few games 
to split up Wallman and Sider to try two different top two pairs on D, or am I being overly harsh? I have no problem splitting them up for a period of time to see. Like, even if you don't find something, like Evan said, just shake it up. Yeah, and I think similar calls were coming for the top line to be shooken up uh, before last game. You know what? I, you know, when you're not one of the best teams in the league, I think everything should be on the table. You could see something in practice that kind of ignites something. I don't think anything should ever be off the table for uh, a team like the Red Wings. Yeah, you said this a, a moment ago, but you are constantly making adjustments. This isn't a 16 or 17 game season like the NFL. Like 82 games is a lot. There's not a single thing that's going to work night in and night out unless the, you're a healthy Connor McDavid. The only team that hasn't changed their power play in 15 years are the, is the Washington Capitals. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody else has to be making adjustments, providing different looks. Because teams watch tape and they're like, all right, this is how we neutralize this set play or this type of structure. Like, you always have to be making changes. A spade who doesn't appreciate being called a spade. I like when they pick up on things that we say repeatedly and just... That sounds like something I said. No, I I think I've been doing the spade a spade a lot. I've also been saying I digress a lot. Someone's taking a shot every time I say it. So this episode is in their memory. Uh, They say, fun thought exercise. You're able to nullify one player... Uh, contract in the league and that player couldn't re-sign with the same team which do you choose a superstar that you hope will sign with the wings a key player on arrival to sabotage them one of our bad contracts etc i have what i think is the right answer to this i'm doing steven stamkos to see if he'll actually go to edmonton and see if ken holland is really full of shit (laughs) mine is hitting on all those points a player on a rival team a superstar who might sign with detroit Tim Stutzla. What? <laughs> he might sign with Detroit? He's got the German connection with Mo. Oh, yeah. So that would absolutely be his number one pick. Well, I don't know. Like, is it guaranteed? No, but... He could go to Edmonton. It's not in the Atlantic anymore, and it's not a team that's supposed to be in... If you take Tim Stutzla off the Ottawa Senators, I'm sorry, that removes them from the conversation of being ahead of Detroit in the rebuilding process. For sure. So that's a double whammy. And that was just not the one I was expecting. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? Like Austin Matthews? Not that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think Tim Stutz, like, Brady Kachuk's one thing. Yeah, of course. If you take him off Ottawa, he'll just go to Florida, and that's the Atlantic still screwed for Detroit. But you take Tim Stutz away, in my mind, that's Ottawa's most important player going to the future. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll allow it. Okay. Hockeytown Racing Academy says, do McDavid and or Dreisaitl end this season not in Edmonton? No. I'm not there. No. I I don't think we're... Like, that's a big move to make if you do do it. I don't It's hard enough to trade players, and the NHL or uh, GMs aren't good enough at cr- making creative trades like that. I feel like that a move like that is like a few tiers above the nuclear option. <laughs> yeah, it's that's like they're going to write, they're going to do like a 30 for 30 on how that trade developed one day big. And unless those two guys do not like each other, I think removing one prematurely spells the end for the other it's yeah that is a mat there's two pieces holding up the jenga tower yeah and by all rights those guys like those are two what i really love about those players and the reason i'm never like oh another team loses their stars great for everyone else in the league like those two guys are absolute dogs like they are competitive to the nth degree like they are some of the most passionate players in the league in sports about winning Connor mcdavid you can see it like, yep. for what he lacks in personality and media, he makes up for in passion just about winning hockey games. Yeah. 
Leon Dreisaitl does vent a little bit by being pissy with the media, which I think is really funny. Yeah. And honestly, a breath of fresh air. Not that it's like, oh, every question is stupid. I think a lot of times reporters have to ask stupid questions to get good answers like that. So it's a little bit of tic-tac there. But they're both just such entertaining guys in terms of the passion they bring to winning. A lot of other sports, you see players cash out. And I'm sorry. Like, that's one thing that kills me about the NBA is, like, the amount of it might be the smart thing to do, but game management that's done and they sit and rest and it's, it's a poor fan experience when those things happen. It's a much more individually driven sport. So it is actually probably a better gambit for winning later on in the playoffs when it matters. But that's, that's something I appreciate about hockey. Is it like caveman mentality, a little bit silly and a little bit like Neanderthalic? Sure. But that's the spirit of hockey that I love. Like the best player who's going to get paid the most in the league still gives the like the most damn about winning that game. Yep. It's stupid right now because Connor McDavid's playing hurt and can't really help Edmonton as much as he wants to, but, but damn it, he's trying. Well, he's I trying. think he's trying. Uh, he's Connor McDavid is two consistent consistencies in this world, in the hockey world. Alex Ovechkin on the left side on the power play, right? In some kind of office, because he does float over time. And Connor McDavid trying. Yep. All right, that's that's my soapbox for this episode. Let's wrap up this version of the Winged Wheel podcast so that we can uh, end the Bradless experience for those who are passionate about that. We'd like to thank all of you so much for tuning in. If you're a new listener, we are a man short today, so there's usually one more voice in here, but we appreciate you tuning into the show and welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. If you're a listener of old, thank you so much for tuning in with us. It, it means the world. To all of you who support us on Patreon, we could not do this without you. And for those who want to, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to support in other ways, uh, wherever you listen to your show, Spotify, Apple, wherever, uh, leave us a rating. It makes a big difference. And hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're on and tell a friend about the show. We'd like to thank all of our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Ryan's Grunge CD Collection. That's a little callback to our overtime episodes. Cider the Ass Kicker, Ryan's Grunge CD Collection. Oh, did they do something? Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutinen and Aluski, Sizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, D-Town Westside, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam al Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, literally one of the players we mentioned in this episode, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Never Go Full Kyle, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate About You, Brian Vasha, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Andrew Broderick, Axel Sandy Palica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, D Boss Snip Show, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland Baby, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Interrupting You to Ask, Huh? James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Adobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, O'Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, 
X, formerly Aaron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll be back with you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.